Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Please find your seat. Please grab a Bible and please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in our New Testament. We are going to be going there. Now, it is week four of our sermon series, our Easter sermon series, uh, He is Alive. And we are looking at the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the implication for us as believers. And we are spending the bulk of the series looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is part of a longer letter written by the Apostle Paul who was a man who himself met the risen Lord Jesus. He was Before that, he was someone who hated Christians and those who preached Jesus, but then he met the risen Lord Jesus for himself, was utterly transformed, and later in his life he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, and part of that letter was dealing with the resurrection, which is what we are looking at now. And the church in Corinth had some errors about the resurrection, so that kind of prompted this part of the letter, and we've been going it through section by section. Uh, a couple of weeks back, we looked at the first 11 verses uh, with Jeremy, and we found out that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead was of first importance. That was, means it was primary uh, in his preaching, his thinking. This is what he proclaimed, this message, that Jesus is risen from the dead. Then last week, we looked at the second section, which was verses 12 to 19. And we found out that there were those in Corinth who were denying the fact that believers then rose from the dead. They could cope with Jesus rising from the dead, but not Christians afterwards. And Paul lays into them and sets out, kind of he asks a what-if question. What if Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead? What would it look like? And the result was truly horrible. He talked about their faith being empty, it being false, it being futile. Those who died were lost in their sin. And he sums it all up by saying they were pitiable in their faith. If faith, sorry, if they did not believe Christ rose from the dead because if they believed, if they believed that Jesus, uh, Christians would rise, then Christ didn't rise. And he said everything falls apart at that point. So that's what we looked at last time, which means we're now going to pick up the passage and we're in verse 20. And I'm just going to read a few verses there from verse 20 and then we'll dive in and have a little look at that. So if you've got 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to read a bit and we're going to start at verse 20. It says this, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. All right. 
big idea this morning is this. Because Jesus rose from the dead, believers too will rise from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, believers too will rise from the dead. Having shown in the last section the what if, what if Jesus does not rise, what does that mean? He's, and that terrible outcome, he's now affirming that Jesus did rise and because he rose, we too will rise one day. It's very much like um, what historians talk about the end of the Second World War. If you think about that, um, one of the most significant events of the war was the D-Day landings, which took place uh, 6th of June, 1944. And the general consensus of opinion is because of those landings and because of the success of those landings, so the Allied powers could make a bridgehead, a beachhead into northern France, the war was effectively won. It was merely a matter of time. And you fast forward almost a year, uh, 8th of May 1945, you have VE Day, which was the victory in Europe. There was a formal surrender uh, of the German forces and the war was over. But because of D-Day, VE Day could happen. And because of D-Day, VE Day was just inevitable. It was just a case of waiting to get there and finishing up the fighting. And so when we look at this now, Paul is basically saying because of Jesus' resurrection, the resurrection of believers is inevitable. It's going to happen as a result. And so we're going to look at this passage, and I want to look at three words. I want to look at certainty, I want to look at order, and I want to look at reign. And so the first one, the certainty of the resurrection, verses twenty. To 22. It begins like this. Having Paul having said, what if Christ has not been raised? Therefore, all these things, he begins um, verse 20 with a great big but. I tell my boys the Bible has big buts. They think it's really funny and they love to giggle at that. But there are some big buts in the Bible and this might be the biggest but of all. Paul has basically said, what if Christ has not been raised? And he begins, but. Dramatic. Okay. But. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. This goes back to the very first section we looked at, the first importance, Christ has died. And Paul said in the previous section that we looked at last week, what if he'd not been raised? What if he'd not been raised? And actually, he has been raised from the dead. He boldly proclaims the central truth of the Christian faith. Jesus is alive. He rose bodily from death. And he uses two terms. Is it me? Okay, I'm just going to keep going. He uses two things there. He talks about first fruits and fallen asleep. The fallen asleep is just a reference to believers who've died. So he's saying those who've fallen asleep, which are believers who have subsequently died in their faith. Then he talks about first fruits. Now, the first fruits um, in their thinking was the first fruits of the harvest. And so what that meant was when the harvest was about to begin, you always get the first bit of the crop that is coming about. The first bit, and they are referred to as the first fruits. Now, handily for us, last term, which book did we look at? Okay, there were loads of you who were clearly here but not here. Leviticus. We looked at the book of Leviticus, and one of the feasts was the feast of first fruits. And what they would do is they'd take the first fruits of the harvest, the first bits would come, and they would then take it to the tabernacle as a sign that the rest of the harvest was going to come. And so they would acknowledge the first bits and they would give that to God knowing the rest was coming. A bit like when we talk about just how the finance update with tithing. Why? We give our best, our first, knowing that God will provide the rest. And Jesus is that first fruit, Paul is saying. He is the one who comes first. He is the guarantee. Because Jesus rose from the dead, there is a certainty that what follows 
is that believers will rise from the dead. It's like the dominoes falling. Have you ever made, build a domino thing? I tried to. I was never very good, never had very steady hands. But now with YouTube, you can see these things where people put tens of thousands of dominoes down and they have these wonderful, intricate things. But what happens at the beginning? One domino, one finger, flick, and then because of that, everything falls. And Jesus' resurrection is like that. It's the first one. It's the first one. It's the significant one. But because of that, everything else will follow. So because Jesus rose from the dead, there is a certainty that as believers, we too will rise from the dead. Then he goes on to give a little bit of an explanation of his thinking in verses 21 and 22. For as by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. Reference to Adam and Jesus there. Then he goes on again. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ, so all be made alive. He uses the word for there twice, giving reasons for you to mark those in your Bible. For, for. And what he's saying is in Adam, which represents all humanity, all of us are born in Adam. We're all human. We're all descended from that. Because of that, we are all guilty of sin. We're all under that judgment And we're all guilty of that. Therefore, the wages of sin is death. Therefore, we will all die. All of us will die. All of us will happen. If you are in Adam, you'll die, which just covers everyone. But, he said, in Christ, who are believers, these these are people who've put their faith and trust in Jesus, looking to him for their salvation, not looking to themselves. These are not churchgoers. These aren't people who think Jesus is a good guy, great teacher. No, these are people who've turned their lives over to him, made him Lord and Savior. Those who are in Christ will rise from the dead because in Christ all will rise. All are made alive. If you read that in Ephesians, we're made alive in Christ. And so that's what we do. We've been born again, John 3. And so though Paul is making there's a certainty. It's basically you were all in Adam, which means you're all going to die. But if you are in Christ, you will all rise because Christ rose first. The certainty for all believers is because Jesus rose from the dead, you too will one day rise from the dead because he is the first fruits of that. He is the evidence of that. So there's the certainty of the resurrection. Second thing is the order of the resurrection. Now, verses 23 and 24, it begins this, but each in his own order. So what Paul is working out is actually like, why haven't they risen? Those people have died. Why haven't they risen already? Why can't we see? He said, because there's an order to it. He says, Christ is the first fruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the, uh, sorry, to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. So what is he saying here? He's saying there is an order to the resurrection. So we look back into the past. It begins with the first fruits, Jesus. And we have this in our Bible. We read our gospel accounts all of them end with the resurrection. And then we go through the rest of our New Testament. What is that? It's basically looking back to what happened. They're proclaiming that Jesus rose from the dead. We go through the book of Acts. And Peter proclaims that at Pentecost. And all through it. Then on to Paul. That's what they proclaim. And then the, the letters we read are all about Jesus' resurrection and what that means for us. So it begins in the past. So the first thing is Jesus rises from dead. The second order, as we look to the future, is that those who belong to Jesus will rise when he returns, he says, at his coming, at his coming. We used to say in the old Anglican church, Jesus was died, risen, ascended, returning. And that is the truth. They say, Jesus, when that happens, when he returns, then the dead in Christ, those who've fallen asleep in Christ, they too will rise. So there's the order. Jesus first, and then when he returns in power and glory as a ruling and reigning king. First time he came, he was in obscurity. 
No one noticed. So a few shepherds. But when he comes second time, everyone's going to notice. And every eye will see and every ear will hear and every knee will bow. And at that point, the dead will rise in Christ, just like Jesus. And then the third thing that happens, he said it would just be the end, which is just kind of a very understated title for just the end of, of this current age. It's going to be called the end. After these two resurrections, a couple of things are going to happen. It says he will bring together every rule and power and authority, which is just a reference to everything that sets itself up against Jesus, against the Lord. Anything that stands against him will be laid low and brought under him, and then he will hand over the kingdom to God the Father. And so that's the order of the resurrection. First Jesus, then believers when he returns, and then the wrapping up of all things when all authority and power that is set set against Jesus will be laid low, and he will rule, and then he will hand that over to God the Father, um, and all will be brought together in him. And so we bring come to the final section of this passage um, which is the reign of Jesus until the resurrection. Now, this bit gets a little bit dense. There's a lot here, so we'll go through it a bit at a time and hopefully unpick it uh, and bring some um, truth out for us to live on. So, what we've got here, the reign of Jesus. First thing that's going to happen, it says in verse 25, it says, For he must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. This is an allusion to Psalm 110. Fact fans, the most quoted psalm in the New Testament is Psalm 110. Just saying like that kind of thing. This is an allusion to that where it says, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the, the image there is putting things under the feet. And that is an image of victory, complete victory. If your enemies are under your feet, they are crushed, they are trodden down, they are underneath you, you have won. You have total victory. And so Jesus' reign ultimately culminates in everything coming under his feet. He is completely victorious. He is ruling and reigning over everything. So anything that sets itself up against Jesus, whether it be a government, an ideology, a worldview, unseen demonic powers, all those things, anything that sets itself up against Jesus will ultimately be brought low and will sit under his feet and one day be completely and utterly defeated. And it will result, it says in verse 26, of what? The death of death. It says this, the last enemy to be destroyed is death itself. This is a definitive statement. Paul is saying death itself will no longer be. It will cease to exist. Because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and his subsequent reign, death is on borrowed time, which is quite a hard thing to get itself around because we just see death in this world as just that inevitability. It's the way that kind of that's just almost at the end, and many people think that's just the end of it all. But Paul is saying, actually, that's not the end, because ultimately death will be defeated. Anyone seen, uh, watch the Marvel movies, the Avengers movies? They are awesome. My son is now 12. We are working our way through them again, and I'm loving it. But you get to the end, and who's the big bad villain at the end? It's Thanos. And Thanos is his big bad villain. He's done things. Now, interestingly, Greek word for death is... Thanatos. See where this is going. He's the de- he's the, he represents death. That's what coming. He, he spoilers. He basically wipes out what, half the galaxy, you know, at some point. And then right at the very end, the very last bit of the very last movie of that kind of series, he gets the gauntlet back on and he looks at them all and all the Avengers around and they're like, oh no, we've lost, he's got the Avengers. And what does he say? I am inevitable. And he clicks. And you're like, no. And then you find out he hasn't got the 
the stones in the back. And then what happens? I am Iron Man. Anyway, watch the movie for that bit. But the point is, very exciting. Good guys win. But the point, he, he represented death and he was that inevitability. I'm just going to win because death wins. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter how much money you are. doesn't matter how healthy you are. doesn't matter where you live and all the comforts you put around you and all the doctors you have. One day, death is going to get you. It's just inevitable and that's it. But what Paul is saying, no, it's not. Because eventually, death will be defeated itself. And it will be over and gone. And death itself will be defeated. It's on its last legs. The clock is ticking down to one point where there'll be no more death and no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. And it will all gone. The old order will have passed away and we will have a new order. And the work of redemption in Christ will be complete. It will be completely, full, fully realized by all. And so what Paul is saying is there is the reign of Christ and so he's going to ultimately defeat his all enemies and ultimately the one he will defeat completely and totally for everyone is death itself. And then Paul, verse 27, he quotes another psalm. Verse uh, 27, it's um, psalm number 8. Verse 8, verse 6, where it said there and it's put in kind of brackets or little quotes in your Bible. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected he put all things in subjection under him. Now what he's doing here, he's basically explaining what he said in the final verses and he's giving a scripture reference from the Psalms um, where he talks about everything being given and put under, the, under their feet. Again, it's another reference to dominion. So effectively he's sandwiched that death of death between two scripture references, say all enemies will be defeated. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Ultimately, death itself will be defeated and there's nothing that it can do about it. And it has that similar theme. God is ultimately responsible for that. The whole chain that began with Christ's coming and his birth and then his life and then his death and his resurrection, ultimately that all finds its kind of purpose within the Godhead. And he referenced there God as God the Father with the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all working together to bring things uh, to completion. And then verse 28 kind of points it, it all comes back to God in that verse. It finishes with that phrase, all in all. And basically it ties together everything that's happened, that everything uh, that we know in Christ ultimately comes from the heart of God and ultimately we complete it in him. That phrase, all in all, is got, uh, Paul's way of saying everything ultimately comes back to God. It's where ultimately he will be supreme he will rule over, over everything. His plans and purposes will come to pass. Nothing can thwart them. He is sovereign. He is God. And so when we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we know it is certain because he rose from the dead. And we know from that that we will rise one day. That is certain. We know there is an order to it that Jesus rose first. Then we will rise and the end will come and that he will ultimately reign over all things forever. All powers, all authority, including death itself, will be utterly defeated for his glory and the glory of God the Father. Amen? That's good news. All right, what does this mean for us here now, church? Well, there's, there's three things I, I want to look at and I want to kind of zero one and see if this can help us as we sort of close out the meeting, have a bit of a time of worship. And I want to look at the past, I want to look at the present, and I want to look at the future. The first thing, in the past, we have confidence. We have a supreme confidence because Paul very boldly states, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is alive. It is the single 
greatest truth in the history of humanity. That Jesus died on a cross in our place for our sin and three days later he rose bodily from death. And because of that we can have confidence. The first domino has fallen, if you will. D-Day has happened. The powers of the age of come have broken in and created a bridgehead into this world and Jesus is the first evidence of that. And as we look at our Bibles, it just screams that. As we read through the Gospels, it all builds up to Jesus' death and then subsequent resurrections. As we read um, the book of Acts, all all the early church doing are living out the truth that he is alive. And they are proclaiming it to anyone and everyone who will hear it. We read um, the epistle letters, many written by Paul, but others as well, and they look back to the resurrection and say, because that happens, it should affect our life now. And this is what it means. This is what it looks like. And then even when we skip to the end, the book of Revelation, what that's, what's that about? Well, the apostle John has a vision of who? The risen Lord Jesus. And he stands before him, and John is just undone, flat on the floor, and he is describing what he sees. And it is crazy stuff. That is, and the risen Lord just gives him a message to his church. And if we, if we flick on a few chats, we go to the end end. We find a new heaven and a new earth coming down like a bride prepared. And there is the people of God will be with God forever. And there's no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. And so our Bible, this is the message. And so we know that Christ died and we can have supreme confidence in that. It cannot change. It cannot be undone. As much as the world wants to ignore it and belittle it and humiliate people of faith and Christians say, no, no, it's nothing. He is alive. Paul said at the beginning of the chapter, there were 500 people who saw him at once. He ate food with them. He appeared with them. They're still alive, so you can go and talk to them if you will. And even though we're removed By a couple of thousand years, we still have that truth because we are men and women who have met the risen Lord Jesus and been transformed by him. And so we have confidence in that. We can stand on that. And so as men and women of faith and men and women of the church, we need to be aware of the resurrection story and looking at it and reading that. I don't know what you're reading in your Bible at your moment. If you're not sure, go to the Gospels and read the resurrection accounts. Read through the book of Acts and find all the points where they talk about Jesus risen from the dead, alive now, active through his church, by his Holy Spirit. Get the resurrection story in you. Live on it. Look back to it and say, because of that, I am saved now. That is a good thing. So we need to have confidence in what Jesus has done. The second thing, in our present, we need to have courage Because Jesus is ruling and reigning, he ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he is ruling and reigning and he's in the process of bringing all enemies under his feet. Days are numbered. The clock is ticking. It will come about. That means when we stand now and we look out and we face the struggles and trials of life and everything that's happening and everything that comes overwhelming in us, we can have courage to know that he is alive, he is with us by his spirit, he's called us for a purpose, to see his kingdom advance, to preach the gospel, to pray for the sick, to serve the poor, uh, the broken, the, the, the marginalized, to forgive those who hate us, to love our enemies. We can take courage in whatever comes our way because he is alive. 
because of the certainty of the resurrection and the certainty of our resurrection, we can stand firm how? Knowing it doesn't matter what you do to us. It's the stunning thing when you read the book of Acts and you find what came upon the church, the persecution, the opposition that resulted, heaven forbid, in their deaths. Stephen was the first Christian martyr, but he wouldn't back down. He wouldn't quit on his message. Jesus is alive, and even at the moment of death, it says he saw the risen Lord Jesus. And on beyond that, you get the other apostles, you get Paul himself. He went through oh, all sorts of stuff. They tried to stone him. They're trying to kill him. He got arrested. Stop preaching, they said to Peter and John, and we'll beat you just to make sure you stop. What happened? They went straight back to the temple court and said, by the way, he's alive. Nothing was going to get in their way. We need to be men and women of courage. That in the face of injustice, in the face of opposition, we are to love and serve those around us and boldly live out and proclaim the truth of God. And because he's risen from the dead, because he's certain, because he's with us by his spirit, we can have courage to do that. Because we know whatever comes away ultimately will be defeated. Whatever stands before us will ultimately be defeated, either in this life or the next. It will be defeated. And so we can stand before that. And so I'm just asking you now, what are you afraid of in serving God? What's the thing that's like, I would, but, I could, but, I'd do that, but. I want to just, the word encourage means to give courage to someone. So I want to encourage you today that he is alive. He is with you by his spirit. He has called you for a purpose to live out his kingdom, to proclaim that. So whatever it is you're facing, take heart in that. Take heart in the truth that he is there. Read your Bible and see what it says and then live that out. Another great way we do is uh, in our house is we love to sing songs. Sing resurrection songs. Find them in the catalogue of songs you know and sing the resurrection ones. Build yourself up. In fact, wake up your soul, the Bible says. One of the best ways I find to wake up my soul is to sing. It's just a good thing. I read my Bible and then I sing. And usually alone because that's just safer for everyone. But I do it because it helps me. It helps me. It gives me courage in the face of what's happening, in the face of what's doing. So we've seen that we can have confidence in the past. We can have courage in the presence. And we can have hope in the future. Hope in the future. I don't know about you, but the last two years for me have been a little uncertain. A little iffy. A few things have gone on that have made me think, oh, not sure what's happening or what's going to happen now. Global pandemics, wars in Europe can do that to people. Cost of living crisis, energy bills going through the roof. You're like, oh, heavens, what is going to happen next? I'm, you always have that trepidation of like, when I next turn on my news app, what's happened now? You know, what's the dude at number 10 done now? You know, like, what's going to happen next? How is this going to escalate but we can have hope as the people of God. And remember, when the Bible talks about hope, it is at 100% certainty. It's not like our hope that we put in football teams or whatever. We hope this, that, no. The Bible hope is 100% certain. So when we look to the future with hope, we have a certainty that whatever happens in this life, we know that ultimately Jesus will be victorious. He will reign. He, we will rise from the dead if we are already dead. 
If not, we will see him return if we are alive. And so when we look out and we read about wars and economic uncertainty and failure of leaderships and even the decay of our own bodies as we get older, we can have hope in the future. We know that one day all will be made new in Christ. We know that the dead in Christ will rise and be with him forever. We can look at that vision of the new heavens and the new earth and we can say, God, we are looking for that. We can pray, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. We want to see it break here on earth now, but ultimately we want to see it break out in its fullness one day in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we need to be a people who are praying as we look forward to the future, praying that hope back to God, saying, God, you have risen, you're alive. We're going to put our faith and trust in you. We believe you in the face of uncertainties. We will not take what the news gives us as gospel fact. We will take your word as gospel fact, and we will look into that. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. The band want to come up. We're going to pray, and we're going to worship God together. Okay, maybe you just want to close your eyes, open your hands. I just want to pray for us now as we worship together. I think there's, there's a moment now where I think God wants to do a work in us, in you, in this moment. Because the certainty of his resurrection from the dead is something that we need to grasp hold of by faith and live out now, be transformed now. Because as we do that, it will carry on into the week. And so I think as we pray, as we worship, I think there's a work the Spirit wants to do in our hearts. Some of you need to take that confidence in what's happened. You need to bring it into your presence so you can have courage. And then you need to look to the future with hope of what God's going to do. And no matter how tough your current circumstances look. The grace of God is available. He is alive. He is ruling and reigning and he wants to work with you through that. So can I just pray for us? Holy Spirit of God, we ask you come now by your Spirit. Rest upon us. We pray that you would come and fill us that you would make that resurrection of Christ real in our hearts. We thank you that we've already experienced it as men and women who know you. Come fill us. If you're someone here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know that resurrection power for yourself, I want to pray for you. God, I pray you come and meet those individuals. We'd love to talk to you at the end if you think there's something I, I want to ask some questions about. We'd love to pray for you. But I want to say you need to know Jesus. And for us men and women who do, we want to look forward with hope, God, eyes of faith. Proclaim your truth, sing your truth, read your truth, pray it back to you day by day, week by week. Lord God, we want to say we love you. We thank you that you came, you died, and you rose again. And we thank you for the one day of the truth we will. And we don't look forward as death as the last, as a, an enemy. We know it's just merely a stepping stone to something better, something greater. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you and we praise you. And God's people said...